I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Boom, boom, shake the room. Boom, boom. Well, here we are <laughs> at World Animal Protection Australia, joined by none other than Ben Pearson. Hello. Hi, Ben. Hi, both. <laughs> Good to Hi have you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, we haven't met Ben or haven't seen – I haven't personally seen mm. Ben since our Ocean Protect launch in – uh, I guess March of last year, which is only a, nearly a year ago. Yeah, that's right. And there was certainly a better view in that room, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, mate. You know, uh, where we are here in St. Leonard's, um, no, the railway tracks, but the organisation. It's not Sydney Harbour, though, let's face it. No, it's not. But, hey, but, but you know, we haven't had a chance. Thanks for coming along that day. I mean, you didn't know us from a bar of soap. You probably would have got a memo from our PR team going, hey, here's some guys. Uh, you know, launching. Was it the fact that we were launching or was it the fact that it was at Matt Moran's restaurant area? <laughs> Be honest. I'm not that shallow. Okay. <laughs> it was the issue. No, it was good. We were well impressed. It was a good day, yeah? Well, I mean, I, I, just, I distinctly remember um, myself and uh, you having a conversation about ocean plastic. Mm. And I remember asking you this question around prior to actually hearing Jeremy and I rabbit on about stormwater. Mm. Had you ever really thought about the impact that stormwater has on ocean plastic? No, I really hadn't. And I think that uh, certainly it was a bit of an eye-opener that day. Yeah. Although I was just talking to Jeremy about this, that, you know, I think back in the day when I was a kid, we all knew that stormwaters were a pretty big contributor to pollution in the ocean generally. And I say that because everyone knew, you know, you never swam after a big storm at the beach. Mm. I grew up in the eastern suburbs because you knew how much junk was going down the stormwater drains. But that seems to have been lost now. Why is it though? I think in many ways, because we all often live in urban environments, the urban environment does disconnect us from the natural environment. So we, you know, we just think water goes, you know, stormwater goes down the drain and then just disappears somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. And out the front of this office now, the local council has got one of those things, which used to be more common, which was near the stormwater drains. They sort of say, you know, the, anything you put here ends up at the beach. Mm, yeah. And I think that'd be a great thing to have around the place so that people get that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Some people do. I mean, that's it's, it's been around for a while. Mm. And look, it's a great way to educate people. But and from my personal experience, by the time they're having to look at that and go, oh, I shouldn't have done that, they've done it quite a lot beforehand, if you know what I mean. Mm. So... Yeah, by the time you're drawing it on the grate and saying, hey, it goes to the ocean, quite often those people have already been the polluters. And look, any form of education is obviously great, mm. 
but we're here to uh, prevent it from from even getting out there. Obviously, number one, avoid using the, the you know single uses, etc. But yeah, look, education's great. But it was just very interesting for my mind. Like you, you're a person who's, I guess, dedicated their life to mm. protecting animals and in, including marine species. And obviously, a key pressure was ocean plastic. And and for for you, uh, amongst other professionals mm. in this sort of area, and not having that realization of the impact that stormwater, it was quite interesting. And to be honest, since I, I've spoken to you, I've, I've had a very similar conversation for the whole bunch of individuals around this sort of issue we've used the example of the, the senior politicians like greens senators etc well, we were just talking about um yeah. kate yeah. who actually ben knows really well and you know like kate uh senator great kate fairman from uh, the greens uh we met her 10 months ago hmm. and i was just saying to ben kate assumed that it went down into a wastewater treatment plant at some point. Mm. And that blew us away, and it really mm. blew her away. So, mm. you know, getting the, the message out there is, is, you know, this is why we're doing these mm. podcasts. Yeah, but absolutely. anyway, enough about us. Yep. Ben, who are you, mate? Like we're, <laughs> you know, you know the, 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 the big dog, uh, excuse the pun, at the World Animal Foundation. First of all, where have you come from? Uh, if we can get a bit of background, why are we sitting here talking to you? <laughs> sure, fair enough. Boy, I bet your listeners are wondering that very question. <laughs> so why don't we fill them in before yep. they all turn off? <laughs> so I, I run uh, campaigns here. I've been at uh, World Animal Protection for a few years and I run all the campaigns in Australia and New Zealand. Um, my background, I mean, I've spent most of my adult life out there doing stuff around NGOs and environment protection and the like. Generally had more of a focus on things like uh, climate change mm. and environment stuff, but uh, always loved animals. And when this job came up, I thought these was a really good mob and I wanted to be involved in this. Um, yeah, I've done things like lived in Indonesia and worked on carbon trading. I've worked in Europe for Greenpeace. Uh, I've even spent four years in the New South Wales Public Service, which was <laughs> a bit of a... <laughs> Jeez, mate. Anyway, Ben, uh, where's, my, where's my medal? No, it was very good stuff. I tell you, I met some super smart people there, so now I enjoyed that too. But yeah, here at World Animal Protection, I run the campaigns, and one of the big ones is, is ocean plastics, and it's also the, just general marine debris and how it impacts on Australian animals, and that's how I came into contact with you guys. So when you say you run the campaigns, can you give our listeners what type of campaigns you're, you're running? Sure. So we run campaigns uh, where we say, all right, um, where are animals being affected the most uh, and how can we be most effective in actually making sure that they have a life worth living. So we do campaigns on farm animals. Uh, you know, you talk about things that people don't know about animals. Uh, every time I go and do a, a talk or meet with a politician and talk to them about the number of animals that are farmed globally, you know, generally people are falling off their chairs because well, what is that year we farm about 70 billion animals a year and about 60 billion of those are chickens. Uh, and it, those are big numbers. You know, Australia, 650 million chickens a year are killed to be eaten. Uh, and a lot of the animals worldwide in farms have pretty bad lives. They have short lives in small cages. They're treated pretty badly. In some cases, they're mutilated. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a bad life. And we do what we can to give them a better life. Uh, Australia is better than most, but, you know, we've still got improvements to make. So that's one of them. Yeah, yeah. So and you, just, yeah, give, no, 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 you know, just for context, <laughs> vegan. Yeah, yeah he, I remember that. Yeah, burn, burn, yeah. burn. Yeah. So, do do you eat meat? So, I uh, have largely got to the point where I don't. Yeah, uh, I still feed my kids a bit of meat. Yeah, but generally, we sort of swap it out. So, I've done things like you know, I have soy milk instead of cow's milk. Although, yeah. I do I still do have cow's milk in my coffee? Okay, well, hey, hey, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at Brad. I will say what what we generally say at World Animal Protection to people is: look, what you need to be doing is reducing the amount of meat you eat. And Australia is the highest per capita meat consumer in the world. Mm. Wow, even more than the that. US even more than the US we all think you know those big Yankees and no no it's us uh, and then wow. we say smaller amounts of meat like much smaller amounts of meat and then the meat you do eat it's got to be high welfare 
So that's that's how we look at it. How do you how do you yeah, know yeah. that you are eating a high welfare meat in Australia and and uh, abroad? Yep. So the first thing you do, you ask the question. So when you're getting that uh, you know tray of chicken out of the uh, pack, you make sure at the very least it's RSPCA. At the very least RSPCA, they run a good uh, assurance scheme there. But I'd go even further and say go for the free range. That's certainly what I do. You know, yeah. if I'm making chicken noodle soup for the kids, and then beyond that, you know, with the pigs and stuff like that, again, buy Australian. That's really the most important thing. It's interesting with with, with pork products because most of the stuff that we eat is kind of ham and bacon, and most of it's imported. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be careful, and it's imported from countries like you know in North America, Canada, the US, where the standards are actually pretty bad. So and, and why is it imported? Is it just cheaper to get it from overseas? Honestly, I just cannot answer that question. And we have had conversations with the big retailers here, and we're all saying the same thing: the Australian pork industry is largely oversupplied with pigs. Why can't we make it here? I just—it's one of the things we're trying to work out at the moment. That's really interesting, Dr. Adrian Gutteridge. Gutteridge from the Marine Stewardship Association. Yep. Um, council. council. We import 70% of the fish that we eat here. Mm. Mm. Uh, it just blew my mind. But you know what's interesting? We do. So we import 70% of it. But the really high value stuff we export. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was saying all the, the, right. the stuff, the lovely crabs from Western Australia. Yep. We, because they the, lobsters, the lobsters go to Vietnam and they go to China. That's right. So, so generally speaking, in Australia, we do have higher animal welfare standards than, say, China and yeah. other parts of the world. Yeah, that's <coughs> right. You but take pigs, for example. You know, in a lot of the world, pigs have a pretty bad life, particularly the mother pigs. They spend most of their life in cages during pregnancy. Then they get put into another cage while they're feeding their young, who are then taken from them at an early age. They're put back in a cage to be impregnated, back in the cage while they're pregnant. That doesn't happen in Australia. Mm. We uh, have a very small amount of time in what they call these sales stalls. Five days, most of the industry does. In some cases, only one. So that's great. They've still got these farrowing crates for when they're feeding their uh, their piglets. But to be fair to the Australian pig industry, they're doing their absolute best to look at ways in which they can stop that happening as well. And they've really done a good job on a lot of this kind of thing. I'm really happy about that because I, I love pork. <laughs> but surely the gold standard is just not to uh, eat meat at all or and animal products. Yep, so you see that now you're asking me a question there. Organisationally, we say we're not opposed to meat eating, but what we're saying is that you should eat very high welfare meat that makes sure that animals had a life worth living. Right? Can I ask, is, is, are you just being nice about this issue? Because like, this is the key issue. You're obviously familiar with cowspiracy yep. and they've sort of raised the issue around you know, Greenpeace and other sort of organisations just saying, why don't you guys come out and basically advocate against animal agriculture? It's the leading cause of deforestation. It's the leading cause of biodiversity loss. It's one of the leading causes of climate change, the leading cause of ocean dead zones. But in all their sort of websites and paraphernalia, very few of these organisations are actually coming out and saying, don't eat meat, don't do dairy. And they, and they thought it was because they're, they're getting so much funding from you know, KFCs, Maccas and, mm. and groups like that. Mm. Is that kind of where World Animal Protection sits a sort of a well, – there's a grey area, it's a fine line, isn't sure. it? Sure. So yeah. I'll tell you what we're explicit about. Mm. People eat too much meat and that's got to stop. Factory farming is a disaster for the planet and we need to move away from that as a system. Uh, if you go to our website, we're very clear. People should reduce the amount of meat they eat. We promote things like uh, you know, Meat-Free Monday. Mm. We promote all those kind of things. We think people should eat a lot less. Meat should be a treat. Mm. You know what I mean? Just something that you maybe do every now and then and it'd be super high welfare. Uh, we put a lot of pressure on... Um, uh, companies like KFC and the others, you've got to make sure that you've got the non-meat alternatives mm. there. And we in the US and places like that are actively working with the Impossible Foods mm. and you know these guys to sort of you know help them get those things to market and you know uh, do what we can to make sure people eat less meat. So we're very clear about that. And again, you know, 
factory farming, you're absolutely right. It's a major cause of deforestation. It's a major cause of greenhouse gas emissions. And we're very clear that when you look at the projections from, say, the Food and Agriculture Organization about the amount of meat that people are going to be eating in 20 or 30 years, it, that just doesn't work. No. We're going to break the planet mm. if we do that. And what we need to be doing now is getting back to, you know, a thing it used to be where you have small amounts of meat and it's most of a treat, but most of the protein you get, most of the nutrition you get is from plant-based sources. And we're very clear about that. Mm. Yeah, that's... Um, I wonder, I wonder how New Zealand stands up. I mean, I've obviously got a bit of a Kiwi accent mm. if you haven't picked it up. What are we like as, as protecting our animals when it comes to like you know the pork industry? Or yep, it, it's also pretty good. Uh, pig industry is is very good, world class. Absolutely. What, what are we shit at? Chicken's a bit of an issue. Oh. We're doing a bit of research on chickens over there. You're keeping way too many of them in a barn. Okay. So we're about Come to start on, doing yeah. that. That's interesting to criticise New Zealand for that because is, am I right in saying the Australian the allowed uh, density of chickens in Australia, apparently, this is something like for every one square metres, yep. I can keep 12 chickens. Oh, it's even more than that. So, what is it? So, I'm just guessing. Is it? Is the law says it's about uh, 20. For, so, just to clarify, for yep. in Australia, in, mm-hmm. if I've got a one square metre area, mm. I can keep 20 chickens. By law, but so this is where the RSPCA has come in and done some really good work. About 80% of the meat chickens in Australia fall under this RSPCA scheme. And what they've uh, mandated is that you can only have 17 chickens per square metre, and that's coming down to 16. And that's actually pretty good. We want them to go further, down to 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many chickens can you fit in a square metre? That is still crazy high. Like, these are social animals. Mm. They've got claws. They've got beaks. They have a hierarchical system. They're very intelligent. Uh, they're, They're social animals. If you put 17 of those in a one square meter area it's quite but it's you're you're right but we've got to look at it in the broader context so what we want to see is this and funnily enough the best stocking density at the moment worldwide the best commitments made have been by kfc in europe and Mm. they've said we'll go down to 15 birds a square meter but what's important is this it's not just how much room they have to move, it's what sure. they've got there as well. Yeah. So, for example, you know, all animals, even when you keep them in a farming environment, they have natural behaviours that they want to engage in. So, you know what chickens like doing? You've seen a chicken in the yeah, backyard. Scratch. They want to yeah. scratch. Yeah. They want to perch on something. They want to be able to explore. They want to do make a little nest, right? You've got to provide them with that kind of stuff. Even if you had two birds in a square metre with nothing to do, the poor animals would be in a low welfare environment because they'd be bored to death. So it's not just how much room to move, it's also the what we call enrichment. Mm. But then the next thing that's really important when it comes to chickens is the growth rate. So maybe mm. I'll, I'll flip it back on you. How long do you think the average chicken lives for? Uh, well, I, I know the answer to this, but I'll let Jeremy. Oh, okay. Um, I, well, I, I'm just going to go from what I've learned. It'll be pretty quick, I'd say... Six eight weeks, yeah, six weeks, right. yeah. yeah, five to six. That's mm. right. It's pretty bad. So, so you're, we're eating yeah. basically babies. Yeah, across the entire meat mm. industry, you're basically yeah. eating babies. That's yeah. right. And in the case of the chickens, that's right. Five to six weeks. So basically, these animals are born and they just explode. But why? Because they were just feeding them so much. Well, they've actually over time they've uh, selectively bred them. Okay. To the point yeah, where yeah, they yeah, grow yeah, yeah. massively, okay. but what happens, of course, they grow so quickly, their hearts can't handle yeah, yeah, it, they're, they're their legs can't yeah, handle yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. cruel. So what they've started doing in Europe, and in, you know, talking KFC again, is there are slower growing breeds which take about ten weeks to get up to that point. You know, about two kilograms, mm. which is when you then slaughter a bird. That's a much better outcome. So if you look at it in a totality of slower growing birds that have more room to move and also then have enrichment so they've got something to do, you're starting to talk about a better welfare outcome. Now, what you're not doing, though, is dealing with Brad's point. There's still the ethics. 
around whether or not you yeah. should be eating animals. Yeah. And, and whether it's possible to humanely kill anything that doesn't want to die. Yeah, that's but, right. But that's, yeah, but that's your opinion. No, that's your fact. No, can, can you humanely but, kill something but, that doesn't no, want to die? But this is not a vegan no, podcast. No, 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 not for sure. Oh, no, cool. Let's just get that straight. No, 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 no but, yeah. I mean, but I mean, to be clear. No, 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 we, we a conversation with, yeah. No, for sure. Oh, no, I'll let you two argue. Everyone does. No, no, but you know, like it's all very well. This is ocean protect, world animal protection. Like people, like I'm so happy that you brought up KFC. I love KFC and they're now the market leaders in, in, in Europe. Europe. In Europe. Not in Australia, I'm afraid. Not, not, so you have oh. to go to Europe if you want KFC, but... But we have focused a lot of our discussion already on uh, chickens and, and pork. And, and, but obviously, w- how we actually started the conversation a year ago was around the, the uh, I guess, the issue and impacts and causes of ocean plastic. So uh, World Animal Protection is in that space as well? Yeah, very much so. So we're focused particularly on the whole issue of uh, fishing gear that gets lost from yeah, the fishing yeah. industry. And that's because when you, you know, when you look at plastics, as you guys know, um, a lot of the kind of public focus is on plastics that, you know, we should be concerned about them, but they're not necessarily ones that impact animals or human mm. health as much. So people got very agitated about straws. And I mean, you know, I agree, you shouldn't have these god-awful little plastic yeah. straws that get thrown out, but there's not really much of an impact on animals. What really impacts animals is uh, ghost gear, the mm. big horn. And uh, Australia has one of the global hotspots for ghost gear, which is the Gulf of Carpentaria. Yeah, uh, that little bit, you know, where Queensland and Northern Territory join up. And that's because up in the Timor and Arafura Seas to our north and even further, you've got a lot of illegal fishing going on. You've got nets entering the oceans. And, you know, they do what nets are designed to do. They catch animals. Yeah, because yeah, uh, we were speaking with Adrian uh, again from the Marine Stewardship Council. And w- what he was saying, a lot of these illegal fishing boats, they think they're about to get caught. Boom, they just cut the line, exactly take right. off. So, yeah. Uh, Jeez. And that net sits in the ocean for three to six hundred years because guess what? It's three to six hundred years. Yeah, it's made really? of plastic, you know. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So I was up there in September in the Gulf. We went up and we uh, hopped into a, a little mustering chopper with uh, James Cook University, who was doing some surveys of the Gulf of Carpentaria. And we said, can we come along and just have a look and see what we found? We left Weeper. Ten minutes later, we landed next to this massive net, like this absolutely massive net. You know, just you look at it and you're thinking that thing would have been just floating around in the Gulf for just weeks and weeks before it got washed up. It would have been capturing animals, drowning yeah. them. And here's the other thing. It's a bad way to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah you know, yeah. these. it's not like a, you know, you go back to humane slaughter. Yeah. We, we know for a fact that uh, in cases you've got nets that have been pulled out of places around New Mexico with just dozens of turtles in there that would have drowned over time or died yeah. of starvation. 
population. And in the Gulf of Carpentaria, we have really important turtle breeding nesting grounds. Sure. And so when we were there, we actually found at one uh, point uh, an image. I can show you a photo later, which absolutely summed it up. There's a bit of ghost netting lying on the beach and there's turtle tracks and the turtle has had to go around the net to get to where it was going to then dig its nest and that's exactly what's happening. CSIRO estimates five to 15,000 turtles have been killed by ghost nets just in the Gulf. Don't even start us on the sharks and the other marine animals and everything up there because, again, nets are designed to catch animals and they just keep doing it even when they're not attached to a boat. And have we got an idea of how long these nets are often spending in the ocean before they ultimately, eventually, at some point, wash up on a beach? We don't actually know that. I think that's something we're still doing more work on. In some cases, they don't wash up. I mean, the, yeah. the gulf is like a big giant, yeah. so they just go around and around and around. And then sometimes the storms, like there's a tropical cyclone up there now, it'll push more of them onto the uh, beaches. A lot do end up on the beaches. Uh, and you've got indigenous rangers up there and people like that doing fantastic work to do cleanup. But we need to deal with it at source. Well, we were, we were talking to uh, Graham Lloyd from Sea Shepherd Australia, yep. and he he was talking about, he, he went up there to the Arnhem Land with the Dimaru Rangers, I yep. believe, and he was saying, which blew my mind, that the Dimaru Rangers, their responsibility is to look after the land, essentially, but essentially they spend a lot of their time picking up these ghost nets that are washed onto their beaches because, to be honest, who else is going to do it? And they, right. he said they do it every day. Every day they're removing these ginormous mm-hmm. ghost nets from the, their beaches, and every day they come back and do the same thing That's again. Right. It's just... It's crazy. And it's, you know, the, the nets went. So we went up there, we landed, we saw a couple of nets went down there. And one of the guys who was with us said, you know, let's have a little bit of a look down here. Um, Dean Sewell, photographer, mm. really a good bloke. And uh, we were wandering around this patch of sand. And you're in this area that should be this just pristine, beautiful area. And there was just everything, thongs, utensils. It was just, so we just did 10 minutes of sort of, picking up everything we could find and put it in one place. And it's just an absolute plastic wasteland. It's like a landfill. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's what was explained. Um, you know, a lot of it's coming down from Indo. Mm. A lot of it's coming down from Asia. But there is still a hell of a lot of that pollution is Australian-made. Yeah. And, and Aussies have got to, and everyone around the world, you've, we've got to be very conscious of that. It's, it's not, look, a vast majority of it, you know, 85, 87% is coming from certain parts of Asia. Mm. But it's just a number, you know. The CSIRO estimate 1,560 kgs of plastics entering our waterways every hour mm. here in Australia. This is an Aussie problem, and we can't point the finger at somewhere else unless we're doing the, the job right, you know. So politically, we've, you know, we need our politicians to stand up, I guess. But you talked about, like, yeah, so Jeremy, Jeremy's right. So the CSIRO research has shown that the vast majority of uh, marine debris and, and plastic in Australian waterways on our beaches is from Australia. That shouldn't come as a surprise, but obviously in areas like Arnhem Land where there's no sort of dense population of Aussies and, uh, and what have you on land, that material, the, the, the ghost nets, et cetera, the thongs, et cetera, the vast majority of that is actually coming from overseas. So you, you talked about, okay, how do we – like stopping this at the source. How do we stop this at the source? So part of that is actually working uh, with some of our um, you know, northern neighbours. So uh, a few years ago, the Indonesian government actually cracked down on illegal fishing. Good on them. And you know what? People up there say there was a measurable decrease in the number of nets washing up on the beaches. Because right. you know, as we've agreed, that's where a lot of it's coming from. So it's that kind of thing as well. We, we think there are other options. We've been pushing the Australian government to help us uh, implement a plan that CSIRO flagged, which is that given the way the nets enter the Gulf of Carp Interior, if you establish an inter- interception point near Weeper, you could actually get some of the big ones out before they start doing damage. Well, that's what I was about to say. Surely 
with technology out there, surely you'd be able to get some satellite or something to be able to track it. I mean, there's a huge masses underneath the water. Do you know if that's possible? Sure you can, absolutely. We think you could definitely do that. And then you could do a whole bunch of other things at source, like no net should be sold that doesn't have some kind of tracking device on it so we can, you know, find where it is. Yeah, I mean, that makes that makes sense you know? straight away. I mean, the, the technology and, and tracking and beacons and everything. The, um, the problem, of course, is with the legal fishing. I mean, no yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, even that, it's like, well... There are a range of good reasons to crack down on illegal fishing, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, a range of them. And one of them, of course, is ghost nets. But that kind of at-source reduction, I mean, you guys know this yeah, is one's yeah, idea. At off. the end of the day, you've got to stop it entering the environment in the first place. Yeah, you'd have to be a pretty, you know, like a silly pirate going, hey, I'm going to go and get a um, you know, fish net and it's got a tracking system on it. I mean, I don't think he's going to buy that one. But I understand what you're saying. I mean, that if you can slow the tide of, mm. of pollutants, ghost nets, coming in it's huge ramifications for what we're going to find out yep and we've got to take it seriously that's the thing i mean governments tend to sometimes focus on stuff which is you know in the public mind and you know i mean let's be clear i think susan lee is doing some good stuff we all know about this Mm. national plastic summit that's coming up all credit to her ghost nets is a hard one you know i mean let's be clear no one's rallying outside town hall about ghost nets but people are really agitated about some of the other forms of plastic pollution the bags and stuff like that and again i understand that plastic bags are a huge problem for marine animals you know yeah and and Look, we were saying this off mic, but, you know, we'll talk about it again. You know, the, the, often governments uh, react to what's in the news. So, in other words, everyone's seen that horrible vision of that straw going up that turtle's nose. Great, we've banned plastic straws. Great, fantastic. Mm. We didn't need them to start off with. But then we go to the plastic bags from Woolies and Coles. Great, ban them. Now we're making stronger single-use plastic bags. Often it does go to what is selling in the papers, and that's some of the hard thing. And especially with you know someone in your role, you've got to work with government. We've got to work with government, but it's it's like trying to tell your teacher off if you're like, oh, I don't agree with you. You know what I mean? And so you, we've got to work with sure. these organisations, and like genuinely they want to do the right thing. But let's be serious: politicians are after votes. You know, that's that's how they stay in office. So it's hard to get that balance. And what's your experience with getting that balance right? I mean, you've you've probably dealt with, you know, generations of, of politicians, not, not not showing your age here, sorry, Ben. But you know, <laughs> at least twenty one. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you manage that? I mean, it must be quite complex at times. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, it, it's more about the approach you take. So I'll give you an example. When we identify a problem, we think, all right, something needs to happen on this. The first thing we do is we go and, and speak to either the corporation or the government that we think could be part of the solution. And we're prepared to spend quite a lot of time advocating with them privately, having those conversations, having those meetings. Yeah. I mean, the last thing we do is start out by, you know, shouting. And, and, and sort of throwing rocks. We just don't do that. So our intent is more, look, we go to government and we make the case, you know, here's a problem in this case, you know, ghost nets and marine animals uh, and we at least want to meet with you and, you know, put our cards on the table and talk about ways in which we can deal with this problem together. If we get to the point where we think there's a problem that's not going to be solved without us doing a bit of public mobilisation, then we definitely go down that route as well. And in a lot of cases when it comes to corporations, we sometimes will be running a petition and doing some sort of social media awareness raising while at the same time talking to the the, uh, the corporation behind the scenes. I mean, KFC is a great example. You know, we were running a global campaign against KFC, but at the same time we sat down and we talked to them hmm, sure. about what we wanted. Well, so that, it's I mean, that kind that of balance. Smart business sense, isn't it? I almost, think it is. You know? You, know, you know, my feeling is it's like, in a way... It's like not every campaign is the same, but the principles underlying a good campaign are the same. And one of them is honesty, 
and transparency. So whenever we run a campaign, say asking a government to do something or a corporation to do something, we always go to them first. We tell them exactly what we want. We have the evidence that we think means that our case is a good one. But as we're always very clear to them, no surprises. We really mean it. If you do that, we will put out a press release celebrating you. Two things, Ben. You've got a very lovely uh, podcast voice. Number one, <laughs> hey, sex appeal. <laughs> number two, hashtag KFC. So I'm going to take this on myself because I, I've I love a bit of Dirty Bird. What do we need them to do? And I'm going to actually personally advocate for getting Australian KFC on board because if they're not on board, I mean, we we are massive mm. chicken eaters here in mm. Australia. They need to come on board. Yep. What, what, where do they need? Where do they need to be? Like, what what do I need to convince KFC of Australia to do? Get down to fifteen, create some nice habitat for them. Easy. So here's the two main things yep. we want KFC to do is. At the moment, we're pretty sure that most of what KFC uh, buys in this market, we think, because they won't meet with us, is just meeting the, the regulatory standard, which means there's just too many birds in the barn. Yeah, okay. It's that simple. Yeah. In Europe, they've said, yep, we'll get down to 30 kilograms a square metre. That's about 15 birds per square metre. Okay, that's good. The second thing is they've said, we'll go for the slower growing breeds. Okay. So those are the two main They're things. The two things. So slower growing breed yeah. and 15 chickens per square metre. Exactly. And then the thing we make the point to them is, well, hang on, if KFC in Belgium can give their chicken room to move. I mean, sorry, Belgium. Yeah, yeah small, no. tiny little place. How is Australia not able to give its birds more room to move? That just doesn't make sense. Yeah, at God, all. KFC, if you're listening, I'm coming for you. Yeah. You know, if you want people like me, loyal, long time eaters of KFC, at least do the right thing. I mean, the guys in Europe can do it. Right. Why can't we? Heaps of room here. Come on. And then the fact is, KFC in the UK, uh, they put out a really interesting public statement about this when they signed on to this better chicken commitment. And they're like, look, we know that good animal welfare is really an important part of high quality food. So then your question to KFC in Australia is, well, so why don't we deserve high quality food? Why are we getting second rate chooks? Yeah. And, and do you know what would be really interesting? Look at the uh, profitability of KFC in Europe. Be really interesting to see how that's going. I bet you they'll be going all right. They're fine. Absolutely. (laughs) I just remember, the one thing you can always guarantee is if you go to a business and say we want you to improve your animal welfare standards, they're going to say, oh, mate, you'll ruin us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I know for sure. But so many- Five years later, all good. Exactly. Yeah. Can I add one more feather to the uh, KFC bar? Was yep. that they, they actually have brought out an imposter burger in the US, I believe. I was getting to that. All of these plant-based uh, meat alternatives, whether that be the the Whoppers and the whatever, the Mac has got a version, Hungry Jack or Burger King got the version. KFC, I think, is a little bit slower. But they have brought out this imposter burger, which – I guess you can talk at. Yeah, well, like. look, I mean, and, and it's really important that we do that as well because mm. here's another part of the whole meat debate. So what mm. we know is that an increasing number of people now identify as flexitarian. That is, they do reduce the amount of meat they eat, but what they're generally doing is they're reducing it based on health reasons and they're doing it based on environmental reasons. So that means that they're eating less beef, mm. you know, and they're eating less lamb, leaving aside how expensive it is, and they're swapping that out for chicken and fish. Mm. Okay, on one level, I get that, right, in terms of, you know, there's no methane emissions from a chicken like there is from a cow. So there's some definite upside to that. The problem is when you look at animal welfare, really animal welfare is largely, you know, a problem in chickens. I mean, a, a cow in Australia has a, you know, a beef cattle. It dies young, but it generally has a pretty good life up to that point, you know. So there's that, right? So people started to swap it out for chicken. And we see chicken consumption standards in New Zealand, uh, sorry, chicken consumption in New Zealand and Australia just going through the roof, mm. you know, massively. I mean, it's funny. In Australia, we generally eat the same amount of meat. 
you know, as in kilograms per capita as we did in the 70s. It's just that now almost half of it is chicken, mm. whereas it didn't used to be because it's cheap and it's easy and it's healthy. So we need these guys to make sure, as you say, what we know is if people are going to choose a non-meat alternative, it needs to be available. And as an example of that, the supermarkets know that if they want to maximise their sales of the, the plant alternatives, it's got to be where the meat is. Oh, absolutely. Because then people are going, oh, well, I could actually give the kids that instead of that. So that's the same with KFC. Yeah, it's like any of these solutions, they need to be simple and convenient. Like we can talk about the environmental, ethical or whatever reasons to eat a, uh, an imposter burger as opposed to a, uh, a whatever, the zinger, whatever yeah. that KFC has. But if I'm just a flexitarian, I will always go, generally, if, if, I, if I want to eat, eat a meat alternative, I will if it's cheaper, mm. it tastes better or as good. Uh, and it's, it needs to be readily available. So whilst I'm, uh, people might get on their vegan eye horse and go, yeah, we should be doing this, most people eat meat because they like the taste of meat. But if I can provide a, a cheaper and better or new, more nutritious version, I'll eat that every time. And to be honest, I think KFC, like all of the fast food chains, will probably predominantly go completely plant-based in the next 20 years. Yep. I'd be amazed if they weren't. And, and if you look at the same, most, I think 60% of, 60% of ground beef consumption in Australia and the US is, is mince. Uh, so that means that we can easily do that with Beyond Meats and Impossible Burgers. And I think KFC, last time I ate it, which was probably five or six years ago, it didn't really taste like chicken to my mind anyway. So probably pretty easy to produce an imitation uh, meat. <laughs> and, you're, and you're absolutely right about that. And chicken's the same in these QSO mm. quick service restaurants, a lot of them. Because remember, this is the thing we always make the point to people. When you think about that burger you're eating, you're right, there's mince in there, but what are you actually eating and what are you tasting? It's the sauce mm. and the bread and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So if you can swap out that mince patty for something that is pretty close to it, then your average punter doesn't really care. Yeah, just just touching on this flexitarian statement you just made. So would I be classed as a flexitarian? Like, let, 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 let's, let's just go back. So when Brad and I started this uh, roadshow and podcasting and, and what have you, if you'd said to me, coming before here, that I'd have a falafel wrap before coming in here, I would have smacked you square in the, in the face, Brad. But here I am ordering it because being more conscious of reducing my sort of meat consumption and, you know. But what is – is that what a flexitarian means or does that mean that you're taking it from one to putting it to the other? What yeah, Definition it, of a flexitarian. It means that. It means you're saying, yeah, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to have a meat-free Monday. Yeah. So I'm only going to eat small amounts of uh, meat. I, I think it means things like uh, if I make the kids spaghetti bolognese, I use a small amount of uh, a plant-based mince and I you know bulk it out with the sort of the eggplant and the the mushrooms and stuff like that. I gave them Linda McCartney um, mm. beef patties the other day. They love those. It, it just means that you actually consciously look for opportunities to have a vegetarian option. Yeah. Flexitarian. You like that? Cause, uh, I do. Like, yeah, because yeah, Jeremy, smiling, I, eh? I think Jeremy likes titles. He, yeah, like, I think he's officially an athlete now because he's done one oh, swim run. Mate, tell, it was, like, one other thing in terms of your reduced meat consumption, you've been telling me how good you're feeling of late, haven't you? I mean, you're looking, you're looking lean, look nice, mate, got a haircut. Yeah, look, but you, you did a 14K run uh, 14K yesterday. run, yeah. Felt good? K and a half the pool. And that's really quite new for you, that's isn't right. it? Really, like, you know, well, in no, recent the re- times. The regular training has yeah, yeah, been yeah, yeah, six yeah. months. But no, no, no. So I have been a positive influence. On you, is it? It's, it's got nothing to do with you, mate. It's got nothing to do with you. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. The episodes are released weekly, and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.